This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of Spits and Suds. I'm Gavin Spittle of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you so much for supporting and growing Spits and Suds. And you know if it's a Friday that we're going to talk to our NHL insider from EP Ringside from his Substack called Shap Shots, which you have to subscribe to. It's wonderful information. And he also wrote a terrific book called We Win Here, which talks about the Texas Stars and the journey to the Dallas Stars. It's Sean Shapiro. How are you, my friend? I'm really good, man. It's uh, I'm actually in actually in New York right now. I'm in the uh, I'm here on I guess technically I'm in New Jersey, looking across the river at New York. I'm here this weekend for a couple things. The uh, movie we've talked about before. We're doing a showing tonight um, here in New Jersey, and then this weekend is the just a couple outdoor games that I'm covering for the folks over at EP Rinkside between the Flyers and Devils and uh, Rangers and Islanders in person. So, uh, but last night hung out here at the hotel, watched the uh, Dallas Nashville game while uh, uh, having a couple uh, cold ones. And it's nice. uh, so I'm excited. To, it's uh, so I'm happy to be on here talking with you right now. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know what? I love the back to back outdoor game. That is a terrific. Yeah. I know they've done that where a college team will play. And then NHL suits up. But, I mean, New York is just perfect for that, where you can get, you know, uh, teams going. And it's going to be it's going to be terrific. So I'm glad you get to cover that. And kudos on the movie premiere tonight. That's that's awesome as well. And as is a dominant nine-goal performance by the Dallas Stars right out of the gate, uh, Sam Steele. And it's just felt like, you know, I talked about this last night on the post, Sean. Um, the stars were in the dirty area, specifically in the first period, but pretty much the whole night. Um, you know, the, besides the Sam Steele first period goal, the other three goals were basically tap-ins. And I, I kind of, you know, you feel for the goalie that's pulled, you know that that's one of the only momentum changers really teams can do during a game. But I'm like, yeah. okay, UC Soros wasn't that bad. No, I mean, UC Soros, it was like, the 18 to one shots in the first period is yeah. ridiculous, right? Like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those spots where, and I, I actually like the way Andrew, I think Andrew Burnett's actually a very good coach. I think he gets it. I think he's very smart. I think he handles things well. Um, I actually like the intermission change of the goalie on this one by, by Nashville, because to me, doing that by allowing by pulling UC Saros and putting in Lincoln in to start the second period, it's not the public embarrassment of the pull, 
And it's also in the mercy poll at the same time because UC Soros was left out to dry. His team completely quit on him and to start the game. And if you're Andrew Burnett, you're like, this guy has done everything and fought for our team all year. Like if, this, if the Predators go anywhere, it's because of UC Soros. And I think Brunette, Brunette actually handled it pretty well. The, the poll, if you pulled him after the fourth goal in the first period, it feels like you're blaming Soros. But when you do it the way they did at the intermission, I think there's a bit of a, uh, eh, some, it may be semantics, but I think it's, I, I think there is a bit of class to the way Andrew Burnett handled that with his goalies, if that makes sense here. Yeah, no, it, it, it does. And, you know, a lot of chatter about maybe Soros moving. At the trade deadline, due to his yeah interesting, yeah, I mean, you know, it, he's good decent contract, um, and you get him for a you know another year. But boy, I mean, I know you have goalies in your system, um, but man, I just I just think you're giving up on a, a really really good, usually a Vesna candidate for uh uh you know a top tier NHL goalie. Yeah, the uh, yeah. So I mean, it's and and the key thing you have to remember too is it's not. Moving on from Soros in a way, um, it's not a way where you're talking about, hey, we're moving on from Soros because of something Soros has done. It's it's all related to how good everyone believes Yaroslav Askarov is going to be. And so for people who don't know, Yaroslav Askarov is the Predators' first-round pick in... Um, let me get this exact right. Askarov was taken in the first round in 2000, uh, in, in 2020, taking 11th overall by Nashville. He has been absolutely dominant at the AHL level. Um, this year with the credit with Milwaukee Admirals, he's got a 921 save percentage. He's got three shutouts down there. Um, he is NHL ready. He is um, very similar to, there was a time in the world where everyone talked about Jacob Markstrom. I remember um, um, there's a time where everyone talked about Jacob Markstrom being the best goalie in the world, not in the NHL. And that's kind of where Askarov is right now. And so that's kind of why UC Saros's name comes up sometimes here. It's like, oh, well, could they move on? Because they've got, you, you move a prime asset in Saros because Askarov is ready. And I look at it from this spot where I think goalie health in volatility, I think it's too early, honestly, because like, I, like, like Lankinen's a fine backup, but like you see, we see all these teams talk about like, oh, you need another goalie, you need another goalie. With the stars we've talked about, like what happens, like they've they've lucked out that Scott Wedgwood has handled himself well, but we've talked about the stars need more goaltending security. Like from from me, from Nashville's perspective, if I'm in Barry Trotz's seat, it's now is not the time to move UC Soros. I think someone, I think the time maybe next year or the year after, as you have a little bit more proof in the pudding of what Askarov is. But right now, um, it's a position that is too volatile, in my view, to bet the house on and move something else. Like, what if the Stars, hypothetically, right? What if the Stars, ages ago, had decided to not make certain goaltending decisions because, oh, well, Jack Campbell's going to be that guy. Right. Right. That's, that's kind of the spot where Nashville's kind of in that spot now where, um, and like, so uh, another team I, I follow closely, the Detroit Red Wings, the Detroit Red Wings did 
the year after Askarov was drafted in 2020, the Red Wings took Sebastian Kosa in the first round in 2021. And Sebastian Kosa has been just okay in the AHL and everything like that. And the Red Wings, though, didn't use Kosa being there as a reason to stall other potential goaltending plans. And they went and drafted this past this past spring, they went and drafted Trey Augustine. And Trey Augustine, if you watched World Junior and watched the United States win the gold medal at World Junior, Trey Augustine was the goalie. Trey's also the goalie for Michigan State. And Trey Augustine, I think, is going to be a stud. The Red Wings didn't pass up on drafting a potential stud because, like, oh, well, we got this, this other guy. So I don't think, like, I think at the goaltending position, you need to play, you need to hold on to chips a little bit longer because the failure rate can really sting you if it doesn't work. If with other positions, you can find coverage, you can do this, you can do that. With goaltending, I, I don't think you give up a sure thing in, in Saros right now. It To me, that would be really, really foolish right now. Well, it's an interesting, You're as you're talking about that, and you're talking about AHL dominance, what came to my mind was Maverick Bork, Logan Stankoven, and Matt Duchesne. Um, you know, it just... It sounded like, okay, can you replace a Duchesne if you need to with a Borker or Stankoven? You know, those guys come up, and at some point you have to make room, or is it Pavelski, and and tough decisions need to be made. And maybe you can fit them all on your roster. But as you were talking about the Nashville goalie situation, I was thinking of the Dallas Stars forward situation, and it's kind of similar. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's, it's a little bit different, too, where – I think, and it's interesting to talk about Matt Duchesne on, it's interesting to talk about the Matt Duchesne ex potential exit on the night he pulled off the perfect, after the night he pulled off the perfect Nashville hat trick of absolutely going, going back to his hometown team that bought him out, scoring some big goals and a big win. And then I don't know if you've seen the clip, Gavin, but then grabbed the guitar and saying it set at Tootsie's. I don't know yeah. if you saw that. Did oh yeah. That? No, mom was so, in attendance. It was a, it so, was, it's a beauty, you know, I mean, it's, so, just, it's a, it's a bonding coaches were there. It was a bonding yeah. situation. So it's, uh, it's funny to be talking about Duchesne in a quote unquote exit an exit for Duchesne at this point, but he is effectively expendable. And at a position where I have more certainty that Maverick Bork and Logan Stankoven will be NHL pieces that work because they're forwards. They will have time to adjust. They will have time to make the jump and they will have time. And there are positions where you can live and die. You don't, you can, sorry, you you can live with mistakes early on with goaltending and players like that. The, I mean, look what happened. Like, look, like think about what the stars had to do to get Jake Ottinger to where he is now. Like everyone, like the stars had to sign. People forget, it it kind of often gets lost in the long-term vision of all of this, that at one point the stars needed to sign Anton Hudobin and Braden, have both Anton Hudobin and Braden Holtby. So um, um, Anton Hudobin and Braden Holtby, so Ottinger could have the time to make these adjustments and everything like that. So, um, yeah, 
I've been rambling here. Gavin, no, I think I, 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 no, I, like, no, no problem. Well, we, we talk, we talk about Duchesne. He did say on yeah. the telecast last yeah. night, Nashville will always be my home. I thought that was very classy, but you know, you could tell in the celebration that it meant a lot um, to score a big goal in that game. Um, so, you know, obviously then he went and scored another one and he's just having a, just an unbelievable season. And I think all stars fans would like to see him back. Who knows what the the cost will be, but there, there were some interesting tidbits um, from that game. One, I mean, put the moms, lock the door, keep them on, you know, keep them around for Edmonton, (laughs) send them back on the road for, for Boston and New York, you know, I mean, having the moms around, it really is interesting that Matt Duchesne said that this was his first, the first time his mom had seen him as far as a mom's trip. So you think how yeah. long he's been in the league, and that's just classy that the Stars and many other organizations are doing that now. Uh, I think it's awesome, and I think it's a great momentum push as well because, you know, the parents, like, you saw the dad's trip and the pumping of the fists and then the moms. I mean, it's just it's a really, really cool trend that's happening in the uh, in the uh, NHL, in the NHL, around the NHL. But, you know, a couple other tidbits to talk about. Ty DeLandria with another goal is – um, he played really well against Carolina, Sean, led the team in shots, didn't get, you know, a goal, but that's okay. And, and then played really well again. I think that is a nice problem for Jim Neal to have because the issue is not forced to call up or stank over or a bork, right? I mean, you know, with the way Ty DeLandria is playing right now. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Ty has done exactly what his job is. And I think it's, He's probably he's definitely sat more than I would like him to, but I think he is the type of player that quote unquote championship teams need because him, Sam Steele, very similar to type mold where you need guys like that. Ty De, when Ty Delandria players are your depth, that kind of utility do it all. That is the that that's that's the space where you know you're moving in the right direction, and. I, I, it's been good to see because I know he's. I talked to him about two, three weeks ago. I talked to Ty about this, and he was really said all the right things and everything. But we also we chatted a little bit about how his. Uh, it is tough. It is tough when he was going through the stretch of eight, nine scratches in a row. When you feel like you've been replaced and everything like that, that's a time where as a player, it can get really depressing. These are humans, yeah, and. The way he's kind of stuck with it and battled through um, the way he didn't sulk or demand a trade or, or like anything, like even after last year, he had the disappointing end of last season where he went played all 82 regular season games and was a healthy scratch for most of the playoffs. Like I give Ty a ton of credit for kind of fighting through and, and, and keeping the right mentality through all this. And hockey is such a physical game. So many injuries happen. You need your lineup to go. 13 14 deep the other thing just about like in the long-term build having delandria there and not forcing up bork and stankoven right now and everything like that is and this is this is tongue-in-cheek but it's funny like i was texting with uh our pal steven meserve my co-author yep. last night and steven said uh said uh, well right now it's uh you everyone needs to realize that right now it's it's uh Jim is not Jim. Jim is playing 
Jim is right now going out of his way to make sure that uh, that Logan Stankoven has a chance to win both the 2024 AHL Rookie of the Year and the 2025 NHL Rookie of the Year by not calling him up this year. These are the bi- these are the big things that Stephen and I text about all the time. <laughs> so so the the uh, the fact of the matter is Jim is uh, Jim is playing chestnut checkers here with uh, with with hardware for uh, for Logan Stankoven. If you want to look at that that way, yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, a couple other tidbits. Craig yesterday on Spits and Suds just adamantly, they're beating Nashville tonight. And I was like, wow. And I admittedly have said that Nashville has been a tough matchup. And if you look, you know, the season series ended up 2-2. Interesting that Nashville won two games here in Dallas. Dallas won two games in Nashville, one of which scoring those two goals late in the game. Otherwise, they would have lost to Nashville. And just watching the flow of the first three games, I was like, wow, Nashville plays them well. So, you know, I was kind of like hesitant about last night, and it was interesting to hear Matt Duchesne after the first period um, talking in between periods with ESPN+. And he mentioned, we figured something out. They were throwing some stuff that was kind of tough for us over the first few games, and we finally figured it out. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a defensive scheme. Maybe it was a neutral zone situation where they couldn't get the flow going. But I did find that interesting that he would bring that up, that admittedly Nashville was giving them issues. I actually have some insight on this. Oh, great. Um, so, great. Um, so one of the things and I've written, you go back and I'll go through when we tweet this episode out, I'll make sure I'll go pull out this story. Um, one of the things that the, Predators have changed quite a bit this season under Brunette has been how they attack the the forecheck. They're a very aggressive forechecking team. They're um, it's very similar to um, Andrew Brunette takes a lot of his teachings from hockey, but also from other sports as well. And he looks at how a lot of, uh, for example, two of his biggest coaching influences are Pep Guardiola with Manchester city and Jurgen Klopp with Liverpool. And with the concept of hyper pressing and um, in Liverpool, they call it the gang and press, the gang and pressing, gang and pressing, sorry um, for Klopp's in Germany. And one of the things that Nashville does is how they cut the ice on their routes. They cut their, their four check routes are very different than most teams. Instead of, um, instead of it being a very traditional, I'm going to use some random hockey terms here, people, and I'm going to do my best to explain it. So Gavin, stop me if I need to correct anyone, but a typical NHL team is going to be kind of going in with a, a one, two, two or a two, one, two, four check. Okay? Pretty straight. Lines, and, right? yeah, yeah. Pretty straight line. You got forwards become F F one. If you ever hear a coach quick side note, if you ever hear a coach talk about F one, F two, F three, that simply means their arrival into the zone. The first guy in on the forecheck is F1. The second guy in is F2. The third guy in is F3. So a lot of NHL teams on their forecheck are very straight line, straightforward. F1, F the puck. F2 is F2 is either hard on the puck or taking space, depending on that coach's system. And then F3 is always typically kind of the clean up the mess type guy right there. Nashville takes their routes are are not as much straight line. Their routes are more about taking away 
future space. Nashville does a very good job with their route. Instead of going to the puck carrier, they the F1 often takes space first and doesn't go to the puck carrier. So the puck carrier looks like they have more time, but their passing routes are taken away. And so for a team that when you don't play Nashville often, um, and this is why the Predators are a fascinating team for me to watch. If you don't play Nashville often or you don't see or you only see them every once in a while, their system's going to catch you off guard because they're different. Now, if you play a team like that in the playoff series, or if you're Dallas, where now you played them your fourth time, and all of a sudden now they have to adjust. Like, you saw Dallas's breakouts last night. They were great. That's something that didn't happen in the past couple of games. It's because, past couple of times Dallas has played Nashville, it's because the Stars adjusted to, okay, and I'm, assu- I'm assuming there was a pretty good pre-scout meeting about this for Pete DeBoer and his, with his defense about, okay, they're going to take your space. They're not going to come at you as aggressively. They're not a Carolina Hurricanes. So take what's given to you. Force them to make a decision. And that's what the Stars did last night. The Stars forced in the 200 feet away from the Nashville net, they forced the Predators four checkers to make decisions and adjust. And it and they weren't able to run their system as effectively. Um, it's I, I'll make sure to link to the story and stuff that I've done on Brunette because it's better if I have a pen and paper and, and, and writing, but it is, it, I, I hope that makes sense. And Gavin, if you want to tell no, me it does. anything that, yeah, if you want to cl- cl- want me to clarify, then please let me know because it's something where it is, this Nashville team is fascinating to me actually in general. So. No, absolutely. Now F1, F2, F3, you're meaning forward one, forward two, forward three, yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Correct. So that's yes. a good that's a good learning yeah. moment, um, you know, for us. Yesterday, Sean, it was really cool that, you know, and that's why I love you explaining Nashville's system because Craig yesterday explained the Stars' defensive system as far as man on man as compared to zone and the pros and the cons of each. So you know, I mean, there are Spits and Suds listeners that are learning, and uh, I love when our experts come on like you and you know Luds and explain it so that when they watch the game you know, they can be more experts. So that's that's yeah. rather than just talk about it. So I, I, I think that's really cool. So I was super excited. I mean, granted, it was a blowout, but that third period comes and something I've been chirping about all season, Sean, Jake Ottinger pulled Scott Wedgwood in because it gives Ottinger a nice period of rest, gives Wedgwood some reps because you're going to need him because you have a back-to-back coming up. And, you know, he kept a clean sheet in that one period, but... I thought it was a great move by Pete DeBoer. Won't be talked about a lot, but it's something that I've talked about as far as in a blowout situation, I think that's where you can also do your load management. I agree 100%. And this is one of those funny, weird situations where Pete DeBoer's life was made so much easier when Cole Smith scored in the second period. Yes. Because it is like... It is going to be very hard. Like if it's seven nothing going into the third, it's going to be very hard for Pete to go to Jake Ottinger and be, "Hey, I'm pulling you," when he's in the middle of posting a shutout. From it's it's one of those where you like as a coach, I'm sure. So like when, when the goal happens for Smith and and, and Novak score to make it six two or whatever, like I'm sure it's one of those where on their way back to the locker room. Pete DeBoer and goalie coach Jeffries are like, you know what? It's actually really good. We at least set up a goal there because now we don't have to think about trying to ask Jake to come out of a game where he's posting a shutout. Yep. Um, I think that's a really important thing. Um, 
I, I also like from a goaltending perspective, like this is the type of thing where this game was was perfect for how you need things for Ottinger to go. First, first period, only faced one shot. He still got obviously got a pretty good amount of work in the second period with the 21 shots or whatever it was. And you keep him fresh. You don't put him in a spot to risk injury and you keep your backup involved. Like I thought this was really well, well played long-term management. The other thing that like the other thing that like, just frankly that this team did last night, and this is another thing that's going to get lost in kind of translation and, and not brought up enough, but if you go look at the time on ice, Gavin, now part of this obviously um, is slightly altered because Bill's Lundquist got hurt and only played two shifts. Yep. But excellent, like you're playing, you're winning a game 8-2-9-2. Miro Heishkinen had the least time of ice on any of the defensemen who were healthy last night. Like not counting Nils Lundquist who only played 134. Essel Lindell played 25 minutes. Yanni Hockenplug played 23 minutes. Ryan Thomas Harley played 23 minutes. Ryan Suter played 22 minutes. Every single defenseman who was healthy played more than Miro Heishkinen. And I think that's brilliant because Miro Heishkinen is this weekend when you have the back-to-back is going to be back up right at the top. Yeah. Rest your guys, get the in-game management done. Like it is to me, that is a... Like, let's see, I can literally pull it right now while we, um, while we're talking here, like for Miro Heishkinen had seven, like Miro Heishkinen had 722 in the first, or sorry, 722 time on ice in the first period, 901 in the second period. And then you dial them back to 457 in the, in the third period, in that third period, you had, um, Essa Lindell plays 7.42 in that period. Um, Yanni Hockenpah plays 8.23. Doing things like that, taking minutes away that would normally go to Miro and giving them to those other guys, A, it gets those guys better involved. They feel kind of rewarded. And at the same time, in the long term, long term it allows you to have a better, fresher Miro Heishkinen on Saturday and Sunday. So Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, That's like a night well off for Heishkinen, yeah. getting that kind of minutes yeah. in the third yeah. period. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Up eight to two. And I bring this up because I brought it up in the post game and I'm not trying to throw negatives in first place. A little bit of space now after Colorado lost to Tampa, Tampa playing really well right now. Um, And Jamie Ben takes a boarding penalty behind the play, had nothing to do with the play. And it was a, tough boarding and goes in the penalty box and Nashville's obviously upset by that because it was behind the play and clearly there was two to three seconds in my opinion um it just it just wasn't a good look in my opinion he comes out of the box Nashville wants to drop the mitts uh Jamie Ben does not want to do that and Nashville gets four minutes of penalties but the rest of the game and the announcers pointed it out it was chippy and I want Jamie Ben to be physical. I want the stars to be physical. I just think you have to be smart about it. Probably not the best penalty. I mean, it didn't matter if Nashville went on the power play, but you don't want Nashville taking it out on other players other than Jamie Ben. So, um, you know, I just didn't like it because, you know, on Twitter today, too, I'll just say this. 
people were saying, don't poke the bear, don't poke Jamie Benn. And I just said, no, it was actually the opposite because think about it this way. The Stars are losing 8-2. to two. And let's say it's against Edmonton on Saturday. And one of the Edmonton players makes a run at, let's say, Wyatt Johnston or Miro or Thomas Harley or just name the player. Are Stars fans up in arms if that guy doesn't want to go? Or, you know, in the penalty box, of course you want one of the stars dropping the mitts as soon as that Edmonton player gets out of the box. So, I mean, we have to look at it from a fresh perspective. What if it was us that got boarded? So, you know, I just didn't like that from the captain. And I hate to throw any kind of shade on a 9-2 victory, Sean. But I think it's important at Spits and Suds that we point some of these things out. Well, it's also the other important conversation about Jamie Benn. And it's something that, like, it's... I I don't like it's it's just true and this is something where Jamie Penn's a dirty player. Like, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not, like it's not like it's it's something where for years like it's easy for me if you put yourself in your if you even if you put on your 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 victory green pajamas and everything like that and and, and sure your your most like there's too much evidence now that's like Jamie Ben is a dirty player. Jamie has always been. It's always towed lines and everything like that, but he's gotten worse at towing the line. Um, some, somehow he's gotten worse at towing the line. I don't know if he's gotten worse at it or refs are just picking up on it more, but I mean, this is a guy who you're up eight, two and you throw a bad boarding hit. Those are really bad. You, this is a guy who in the biggest home game in franchise history, since our friend, since our pal Ludz played for this team, he dooms his team with a dirty cross check to the captain of Vegas in front of the world to see and shows no remorse for it afterwards. This is a guy who on a similar cross check two prior two seasons prior broke broke a bone in Dylan Larkin's neck on a similar play. Like Jamie Ben is a dirty player and that is something that um is just the reality and I think if, if if you were to objectively look at the stars and their fan base from sorry from any other fan base, it'd be easy to say that. Like, how easy is it for a stars fan to say, "Oh, Corey"? And I'm not even talking about all the the junk that happened yeah. this year with Chicago with Corey Perry. But like, how easy is it to talk about? Oh, Corey Perry's a dirty player. Tom yep. Wilson's a dirty player. Yep. Like, it's easy as stars fans to say that. But then all of a sudden, you talk about your own guy, and people get up a bit bit up in arms. If like, no, he's not. He's not. He's not like. If Jamie Ben did that, if Jamie Ben was wearing a Predators jersey, we'd be talking about how he's one of the dirtiest players in the league. Yeah. Like that's just that's that's the reality of it. And, and I wonder if it was frustration based on him not getting a point. And... I, I I mean, I, I don't know. It's it's the thing where it's the thing about, about Jamie and, and there's just there's just seems to be sometimes a lack of just a lack of situational awareness um, when he's coasting. I'll use that term, right? Like we've talked about, like there are, when Jamie Ben is dialed in, he can, and ha- not anymore, but when Jamie Ben was dialed in, there was a time he could die, he could be dialed in and he'd be a top five player on the planet. It's been a long time since that, but there were still places where he would get dialed in. You'd be like, oh man, that's old Ben. We got to watch out. But throughout his career, when whether it's the start of slow starts in first periods or 
games like this that are a bit lopsided where he's just kind of going through the motions, he kind of just makes foolish decisions sometimes. Yeah. And it's one of those where we know how much he means to this franchise and we know how much this team will follow him anywhere. And so it's kind of one of those things where like even saying this right now, I'm breaking some kind of code because I know stars players will be, would be stars players would be pissed for me to even mention this, but it's true. And this is not me saying Jamie Ben's a bad captain. I want to be clear on that. This is not me saying that. This is not me saying anything like where, oh, you should do this or make changes to that. This is not me saying any of that. It's just, this is a player who part, part of its playing style, part of its mentality has lived on the edge of things. And sometimes he goes too far. And because of that, he has somehow avoided he somehow avoided the the wider dirty player label than some other guys have gotten. Um, and I think part of it is just because at one point he led the league in scoring and, and there's been other guys on his team who are a little bit less likable, right? Like, and what I mean by less likable, I mean, as in the, like, Oh, like, like Mason Marchment's a dirty player, right? We know, we know that yes. Mason Marchment was fine for a bad check the other day. Mason Marchment is on the league diver list. Mason Marchment is, if you're looking at, like, if you were to list players who don't live by the quote-unquote code, as terrible as it sounds, like, Mason Marchment doesn't live by the, that code or whatever, right? That And Corey Perry before him was here. So Jamie's always kind of had someone else who was slightly worse on that scale. But when you're the captain of the team, your team's up 8-2, like... Right. And, and, and now like, some people on yeah. Twitter, Sean, are saying that it was because of Lazan's hit on Lundquist that took him out. But, I mean, okay, I think there's fight, a then, difference. Then, 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 then fight him. Fight him, exactly. Then fight, then, okay, then then fight him. If, if, it, if it's because of Lazan's hit on Lundquist, then fight him. I mean, we talked about this earlier this year when, um, oh, why am I drawing a complete blank on who fought Jamie from Vegas? Um, uh, uh, who, yeah. Is the it, defenseman. I, I literally. I, why am I? Is I Haglund? No. 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 On Vegas was Vegas, it? No. Yeah, McNabb. It, McNabb. It was McNabb, right? It was McNabb, right? I think. No. Uh, I'll pull it up when you. When yeah. You give I, I, either way. Either way. But Vegas felt Vegas had the. There was the their captain was assaulted in a playoff game by Jamie with a cross check to the neck. A guy who has had neck surgery. And so the next chance Vegas had in a regular season game, this player who you'll look it up for me, I can't remember who, said, okay. Nicholas Haig. It was Haig. Haig, okay. Ben has to stand up for, has to answer for that, so I'm going to fight him. So he fought him. Okay. So if you're, if if Jamie Ben, if, if the Stars feel like Lazan's hit was so bad on Nils Lundqvist, then fight, then fight Lazan. Yeah. Like, then go fight him. Like, don't, don't go in, like... Like, I mean, it's no. I agree the, with you. It was I hated the, the hit, but it was a clean hit. Yeah, and it's it's the chippy little shit behind the like. And you know what? You could also not even board the guy. Like if it, like here, like if you wanted to, you could. You don't need to board the dude at any point during that game. Like let's see, like Lazan played seventeen minutes that night. You could yeah. have fought him at any time, right? And it's and you know what? I I give. I give Michael, I give Michael McCarron credit for like, 
it's, it's a weird thing, right? Like, cause it's a nine, two game. So you're not really sure exactly what's right and what's wrong at that point. But like, I at least give Michael McCarron credit for being like, okay, let's, let's settle this this way. Like I'm not going to, cause Michael per- Michael McCarron tried to fight Jamie. Ben. Yes. And, and Ben basically dummied him into a penalty, you know, all that stuff or whatever. He tried to fight him. You know what he didn't do? He didn't go and slew foot Jason Robertson behind right. the play. He didn't go and he didn't go and run Scott Wedgwood or something like that. Like that's it. There's all of this stuff with hockey, and, and we're kind of, it's it's a weird time to just with all this going on right now because obviously Morgan Riley is having a hearing appeal today. Talked about NHL, it with Ledge right? yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's got his appeal right now, where, um, where he goes and Morgan Riley cross checks Ridley Gregg and I, and there are spaces where, and I'm, I'm not a huge, like you must fight type dude. I'm not a, I, I, I honestly, I, I love the sport. If I don't ever see another hockey fight, I'm fine. But I do think from a spot in the game when it comes to when you have a sport where the you need a quote-unquote response in this or whatever, I think there's something about the, the glove, the face wash, the glove to the face, the little shove, the fight, all that stuff there. It sends a message you're not going to get pushed around without actually doing long-term physical harm that you're going to yeah. like like ruin ruin someone's life for i mean it's i i just like this is with ben that like ben has lost the benefit of the doubt like we're talking about a guy who has broken it's it's two captains actually he has broken the bone and ended the season of a captain to the Detroit Red Wings with a cross check to the neck. He cross checked another NHL captain to the neck, a guy who had had neck surgery in front of the whole world to see. This is not a guy who we're just going to be like, well, he, he lost it for that moment. No, he's, he's done this over and over again. So, and it's, if you don't want to fight, you don't want to fight, but like fight challenge onto a fight, do that. Yeah, don't hit deliver him from a, behind, like, behind like, the deliver, d- d- deliver a clean hit, like something like that. Yeah. Like this is, so it's. No, anyway. I, I agree. And that's what I love about this podcast is we're going to talk about these things. And if someone wants to retort and come at us, I'm totally fine with it because, yeah, you're right. The, the evidence is there. And, you know, we want Jamie Ben to play physical, but. Play physical in front of the play. Even if he boarded somebody in front of the play, I think that would have been more acceptable. But clearly the player was in a vulnerable position, and that's what I hate. And I don't want um, the team that I want, obviously, to go far to do those kinds of things. And if, if so, and you admit that, you know, it was a bad hit, then you should drop the gloves coming out of the box. All right, but we didn't want to spoil the uh, 9-2. to two. Uh, Terrific victory. Big game against Edmonton. I'll tell you what. We're all excited about Edmonton. St. Louis last night takes care of Edmonton. Doug Armstrong, the St. Louis Blues, are in the wild card race and are a wild card team along with the LA Kings if the season ended today. What a story of a team that admittedly 
said that they were in a rebuild process, got rid of some of their marquee players, so to speak, and now find themselves in a playoff chase. It is, uh, should we call it the Matt DeFranks effect? (laughs) (laughs) For those that don't know, Matt DeFranks used to cover for the Dallas Stars. Um, He used to cover the Stars for the Dallas Morning News, and he moved on to the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. So, yes, that's a great call, Sean. That's a great call. Um, Yeah, that's – that's the Blues are – like, if I had told you before the season, I don't think you would have believed me if I told you the Blues would be ahead of Nashville, Minnesota, and Minnesota right now in the standings. That's – and – it's it's funny too because it's a team who they they went through a coaching change this year, so they've had a little bit of that new coach bump. But they've also it's this has now gone on longer than just being a new coach bump, right? This has also been like there's been some sustained sustained growth. Some some the team has gotten better. Um, like they, I mean, they were so bad before. <laughs> like, like they went from being a team that was downright unwatchable to being um to to being way more intriguing now like yeah. they still don't score a lot they still don't score a lot of goals but now they don't give up as many goals like it is uh just a team where like they're what at 60 points now with 60 points now with after 53 games 566 point percentage um got a four point little a four point cushion over Nashville and Seattle. Yeah, about 28 with, 29 yeah, games left for everybody. Yeah, with a game with a game in hand like um they're not they're not catching up to to the to the top no. 3 in the central. That's not happening, but all of a sudden you're looking at a spot where we could be looking to the Stars Blues playoff series. To yeah, start. yeah, no, absolutely. Or yeah. Stars LA Kings and the LA Kings once again have rebounded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, got that coach bump, yeah. so to speak. Uh, they're playing good hockey uh, with a win in New Jersey last night. And, you know, it's fascinating. I was looking at the Western Conference wild card standings and, and, and I know they might fade, but then I look at a Minnesota winner of four in a row. So does Bill Guerin. You know, does he still want to sell or does he, you know, keep? Does he want to add assets? Seattle is starting to play much better. A win in Boston last night, who the Stars will see on Monday. That's a massive win for the Seattle Kraken. They're also entering the wild card chase, and you have about a five-point difference between out or in, and this is going to be interesting as we creep toward the NHL player uh, trade deadline as far as buyers or sellers because there is that short window where, you know, if you just stay the same, that's fine. But, you know, you could get some serious assets from trading some of your guys or you could pick up assets and say a playoff run is important to me. I'm going to try to sneak in. Yeah, I'm really fascinated um, right now with, I don't think, it's Minnesota and Cal in the West, Minnesota and Calgary are the most interesting to me on this, on this front because, um, and both of them have, um, pieces that are, would be of high value and, uh, of, would be of high value to some other teams. And the big one is with Minnesota first with Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, you've got a lot of teams right now who would love to have Fleury, 
as maybe their new number one or that veteran guy that helps smooth some things over, right? Like um, the New Jersey Devils, right? Yeah. They need a goal. The New Jersey Devils need a goalie. The Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Carolina is an interesting one because they've got a couple under under wraps right now, but it's um, you have um, um, who else here? Like you look at the you look at Edmonton. I know Stuart Skinner's been better, but for the right price, would Flurry bringing yeah. Flurry and help help with that? Um, what about the Avalanche? Because like Gorg- Georgiev is playing too many games for the Avalanche, and he hasn't been good, right? Yeah. Like it's been it's almost uh, it's like it's almost laughable actually how much Georg- Georgiev has played for the Avalanche and hasn't and his and what his numbers are. Like it's kind of funny to see. Um, so like, could you see flurry move within the division to the avalanche? Um, the, you've got, and the other one too is it kind of got nixed. I I heard it kind of got nixed this weekend and there were reports that it got nixed and all that stuff because Markstrom doesn't want his name out there. But at some point the flames here are going to turn. We talked about Yaroslav Oskarov has the next number one in Nashville in Calgary. Um, Dustin Wolf is ready. Like that's one where Dustin Wolf is ready to be the guy in Calgary. He's a great young goalie. I love watching him play. And Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar are there right now and kind of blocking the way. And I person if I'm if I'm Calgary and I have my druthers, I I I think at some point you're gonna see, even if it's not a trade of a goalie, I think we're gonna see Calgary make a goalie move maybe even internally where you uh, right now they're carrying uh, eight defensemen right in Calgary. So I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Calgary moves one of those eight defensemen to the minors to open up a roster spot and goes to a, goes to has three goalies on the roster because Dustin Wolf is ready and you could have having the way Markstrom's playing and then having Wolf play the games Markstrom doesn't, that makes Calgary that, that turns Calgary further into a, team that could really maybe chase down st louis here so um it, it's it's a interest it's a fascinating race because like in the west you've got arizona anaheim san jose and chicago those are your four you only have four like guaranteed sellers that's it in right. the west yeah and arizona has a bevy of right-handed defensemen yeah and you have same thing in like similar thing looking out east where you have Probably only about four guaranteed sellers out east, too, between Columbus, Ottawa, Buffalo, and Montreal. And then you can start having your discussions about Washington, um, about what they are and what they aren't. And so it's going to be a market where some of those teams are going to get way more for pieces than they should. And it's one where I wonder if you see kind of a team and I always talk about Philly when we do this, but because they keep kind of just hanging around there, like a team that's got the chance to sell, but is still in it at the same time. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, um, like for like Philly, I always go back to the Sean Walker example. And I think his price has gone up, unfortunately for what it's going to cost for Dallas to get him. I think he may be now kind of flirting with the first round pick type territory. Yeah. Um, but a team like, um, like if you're the Blues, 
even that's a type of team where you look at some of your assets and you're like, okay, is there a place where we can take replace an older player for a younger player or something like that? A move that helps both that isn't necessarily selling, but also helps build the future window at the same time. I wonder if we see some things like that at the deadline this year. Um, yeah, I can't wait to do trade deadline shows with you. I mean, yeah. I, I love that time of year. I love free agent frenzy and I love trade deadlines. Because well, it just, it's, you know, like no yeah. other league, Sean, out there. I, I mean, it's just so fun to see the movement, and it's just constant throughout the day. It's uh, it's it's also the spot, too, where different teams have different objectives, right, of where they're going, right? Yeah. And, um, like, this brings me to, like, the Chicago Blackhawks, right? And obviously they get... Um, they counter Bedard back last night Great and everything see. is, yeah, it, it, everything is building around Bedard and everything, but like, um, that team, 31 points right now, four point cushion for dead last, um, aren't going to pick worse than probably there's, I mean, I guess the worst they're, they're in a spot where they've almost, lo- they've, they're pretty much locked into a top four pick already. Um, because even if the other, even if they don't win one of the first three lottery spots, they're going to be fourth. And I mean, that's a team where, geez, Gavin, like I've paid a lot of attention to this draft class coming up and whether it's, I mean, if Chicago wins the lottery and gets Macklin Celebrini, it's going to be really bad for everyone. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really bad for everyone. Uh, but even some of the other guys, like there's um, like you talk about fighting their franchise defensemen. Um, here's a kid playing for Michigan State right now, Artem Lushenyov, who is probably going to go second or third. That's a player from a star's perspective. You don't want to see him in Chicago every night. Um, even Ivan uh, uh, Demidov, I think is his name, if I got it right, if I got that Russian right, who's playing over there. No, I haven't seen him in person playing because he's in Russia. Um, there's, uh, like, there are teams, like, Chicago's going to sell at the deadline, too, and they're going to make sure they go even further to guaranteeing their building for the future as well. Like, um, I mean, at some point, right, someone's going to trade for, like it just feels like the Blackhawks are gonna trade a a guy like a uh, like a Tyler Johnson or a uh, or like a Colin Blackwell, guys who probably typically wouldn't have much value at the trade deadline, but because of where we are and slim pickings or who's selling, people are gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go get more for that guy than I should, and yep. it's just gonna go into the, the arms chest of for Chicago team that's got. Geez, they already have. I'm looking at their cap friendly page right now. Chicago Gavin has two, five, seven. They've got seven picks in the first three rounds of this year. They've got five picks in the first three rounds next year and five picks in the first three rounds in 2026 already. Yeah, them in Arizona are really, like, uh, really busy. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, I just wanted to say you mentioned the draft, and I'll once again yeah. mention Quinnipiac's goalie. <laughs> who is not a top goalie prospect. Vinny Duplessis, who was named, used to play for Boston University. He was just named as a Mike Richter um, finalist, which is best college uh, goalie. Um, they picked 10. 
And 20 games played this year. Uh, let's see. Yeah, 20 games played. Uh, 1.92 goals against average. 918 save percentage. They're one of the top teams in the country. I just don't understand it, but it'll be interesting. Are you, are, is this is this your? Uh, this is my yeah, Matt is Murray. This your, is this, is this your? Are you are are you trying to get Scott White to listen to our show? Is yes. This, is this is this you? Is this you? Uh, you yes. you trying to offer your options for? Hey, these are the guys who uh, come April. Yes. I think the I think the Frozen Four. Thank you. April, I think the Frozen Four is April eleventh this year, I believe. Yep. And so, is this kind of your like, hey, uh, Scott, if you're looking to add a guy on a PTO and an AHL deal for the rest of the year that you could probably get in there on April 20 on April 12th. Uh, you should, is this, is this your pitch here? Sean, thank you so much for allowing me to read my letter that I have right here, which says, dear Mr. White, forget what I said about Julius Honka. There is a goalie from Quinnipiac university. I'd like you to see. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it, it happens. But I was right on Robertson. I was right on Ottinger. But then again, we all were. <laughs> so, hey, listen. It's easy, it, it's, easy to, it's easy for us all to name our wins. So, And we only mention our wins right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to – I only have a couple of minutes. Do we want to – get to Columbus or do we want to focus on Columbus next week or when we go around the NHL? Let's talk more about Columbus next week, but I okay. will say my one takeaway from Columbus, and I'm actually writing about something for my weekly column for over at EP ringside for Saturday on this. It's the one weird thing to me about Columbus is how John Davidson still has a job yes. because um, as even though he is in the hall of hockey, all of fame as a broadcaster and obviously did a great career for that. Like, all the big decisions and the big head scratching things Columbus did this year, they are were all signed off by the president of hockey operations. And Yarmo Kekalainen basically took the fall for it. Um, and the fact that John Davidson hasn't really taken the heat for that is fascinating to me. I so agree. I, that's that's so no, absolutely. All right, we'll talk about that next week and more. Wow, what a big week for the stars ahead, Edmonton and then Boston, and then the New York Rangers, and Carolina's coming up again in Carolina, so it's a big stretch, but so far, really nice job beating Carolina and beating Nashville last night. So support Sean at Sean Shapiro on Twitter. You want to follow him. Uh, We Win Here is the name of the book that we mentioned. It's a terrific read. Father's Day is right around the corner, so you could support Sean by buying the book. Also, you can sign up for his Substack, which he gives all kinds of analytical information. He mentioned an article that he's going to post, and that's at Shapshots. So don't forget about that. He also writes for EP Ringside, and you'll also see him at D Magazine. So for Sean Shapiro, I'm Gavin Spittle. Thank you one and all for supporting and listening to Spits and Suds. We will be back tomorrow after the Edmonton game to talk about the game, and then on Following that, we'll release a Boston Bruins preview. So a lot of podcasts coming up right here on 105.3 The Fan. Have a great day, everyone.